0: The following message is a part of the teaching ministry of Grace Bible Church of Fairburn, Georgia, also on the web at gracebible.faith. That is gracebible.faith. All right, so we are going to try to cover both books uh, today. Denise and I were just talking, and uh, on the one hand, Jeremiah is the easiest of the prophets to read, uh, compared to Isaiah, compared to Ezekiel, compared to the Twelve. Uh, definitely the easiest, but also the hardest to summarize. And so this will be very, very high level. I'll do my best to summarize it, but it's a large book and very difficult to summarize, even though it's a good good read. So uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, Jeremiah, and then again, we'll do Lamentations after it. So Jeremiah was the author, and again, uh, just like Isaiah, there are a lot of folks who will say, hey, you know, it was written after by one of his disciples— Again, that's not our belief. We believe uh, that it is written in the time period of the prophet. The prophecy is legit. Uh, These are the same people that would say that the miracles that were done in Jesus' time were not real miracles or whatever. So these are not things that we spend a lot of time on. Just want to say, uh, you know, we do believe it was written by Jeremiah that these were true prophecies. In fact, in the book itself, there's Jeremiah isn't told to write down his prophecies. And he does that through the dictation to Baruch. He is the prophet. He was a priest. He was from a priestly family, at least. So that's unique about Jeremiah. And he, another thing unique about him is he's, he's called a prophet to the nations. And clearly his message was to Jerusalem, to Judah, uh, to Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. But he also was writing at the time of Everything changing. So Israel had become a nation. Yes, they had been birthed out of Egypt, had come to receive their own land. And from that point on, they had a place. They certainly were harried at times and uh, you know, lost parts of that land and grew and expanded their borders. But they had a land. Jeremiah was the prophet at the time where that all ended. They no longer had a land. They no longer had a king. And so Jeremiah is the first prophet, as it were, one of the first prophets to really speak into that that view where they're scattered, they're among the nations. But Jeremiah also spoke directly to the nations, as we'll see. He has about seven or eight chapters at the end where he speaks directly to the nations. But he's called, termed a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah, more than any other prophet, Hosea would be a close second maybe, more than any other prophet, has a lot of personal material about himself, autobiographical material about his experience. Like Isaiah, we know a little About Isaiah, we knew he had, you know, two children, Maharshal Hashbaz. We know he had um, uh, a remnant will return, is how you say it in English. I can't think of his name in Hebrew right now. But the guy that went to the water shaft to meet King Ahaz, Shere Shere Jashub, I think is his name. They would. uh, He had, had two children. We know he, you know. Was present in Jerusalem during the siege of Assyria, but that's that's all we know. Jeremiah it talks a lot about his feelings here, his life, his experience, uh, so much so, and we'll show this in a bit. You know, he's um, Jesus is compared to him in, in many ways as you think about, it. and we'll get to that in just a second. But we you know we, like in the same way that we have a lot of biographical material about our Lord, you know, Jeremiah, there's a lot in this book that we learn about him as a person. He's called the weeping prophet. He, again, prophesied on the cusp of this massive change where Israel is no longer a nation for the most part, at least not with a land and not with a king. Obviously, they're still a constituted nation. but And it was sad. It was like, again, one of these uh, touch points with Jesus. You think about Jesus when he knew destruction was going to come to Jerusalem by the Roman armies, and he wept over it. Uh, Jeremiah had that same experience, and he's referred to as the weeping prophet. And lastly... Uh, uh, something maybe a little more unique about Jeremiah although Ezekiel will have it in spades as well generally for the most part again some exceptions the prophets we've had are, are speaking or writing Jeremiah perfected the art of doing you know symbolic actions. so you can think through some of the things he did like uh, buying a waist cloth and burying it to show how it would be ruined after a time or uh, you know Ezekiel will come and lay on his side for hundreds of days you know, those sorts of symbolic activities jeremiah uh, will will have that as well okay let's talk about when jeremiah wrote i'll show the little graph here in just a second but josiah was the last good king and again i think he gives uh hezekiah a run for his money david a run for his money is one of the best kings it's said of josiah he loved the lord with all his heart soul and mind it's not said of anybody else to my knowledge i mean just a, a great king and Jeremiah received his call 13 years into uh, the reign of Josiah. So we'll, I, I think it's on this chart somewhere. But Jeremiah started around 613, 614, again, 13 years into Josiah's reign. It would only be five years after that Josiah is killed at the Battle of Carchemish And then after that come the exiles of Judah, because then come the last final wicked kings of, of Judah. And we have a small sort of initial exile like, hey, I'm going to take all your good people, all your princes and your nobles, and maybe you guys will behave better. Uh, This is Babylon speaking to Judah. They didn't. They didn't behave better. And so in 597, eight years later, there was a large-scale exile. Ezekiel was taken in that. And then ultimately, there was still found sedition in Zedekiah, the last king. And in 586, they said, no more of this. We're not just going to take your best. We're not just going to take a lot. We're going to destroy your city. You're going to be completely dispersed. And very few people left. And those that left, many of them went to Egypt, even though Jeremiah told them not to. And then eventually, uh, Jeremiah writes, and his ministry ends with the release of Jehoiachin from prison. So the the kings, just to review those, you had uh, Josiah again, really great king, 609, Battle of Carchemish. Egypt, Assyria has already been defeated in 612. Let me make sure before I say all this. Okay, I do have another slide. No, I don't. Um, 612, uh, Assyria is defeated in Nineveh, and now it's clear that Babylon is the new world power, not Assyria any longer. So Egypt and Assyria decide we better get together and fight Babylon. 609, Battle of Carchemish. And for some unknown reason, Josiah tries to intervene. And he goes up and marches up to stop Pharaoh Nico of Egypt to go join Assyria. And in 609 BC, he's killed there. Uh, and then ultimately, those two armies converge or come together Assyria, Egypt, Babylon comes and defeats them both at the Battle of Carchemish. And the world has changed, and they are now the superpower, 609. At that point, you have Jehoiakim uh, becomes king, and uh, he doesn't last long. Uh, there's a desire to. No, excuse me, Jehoahaz becomes king. He doesn't last long because the king of Egypt says, I want somebody that supports us in control. So he puts Jehoiakim in there. Jehoiakim is eventually, again, pro-Egypt. So in 597, he is put down. Jehoiachin is his son. Uh, Jeconiah, he's also called at times. He gets into power, but Babylon's like, no, we're running affairs now. I'll take Jehoiachin with me, and then we're going to put Zedekiah in. Zedekiah was... Jehoiakim's brother, Jehoiachin's uncle. So he's in power, and then eventually, you know, he's placed by Babylon there, so uh, it's their selection, but eventually he, again, has sedition found in him, and they come and destroy. So that's sort of the the time period really quickly. Uh, This is a slide more, again, to just share where the latter prophets are. Uh, Again, we're getting down past the northern kingdom's exile, past 701, which isn't even shown on this slide where we talked about last week, where Assyria was coming around Jerusalem and was defeated, and now into 586. And that whole green arrow is all the latter prophets, not Jeremiah, Jeremiah doesn't go that far. Here is, I believe, yeah, this is the slide that will show where Jeremiah was. And just before the Babylonian exile, just after. So he was the prophet that oversaw, as it were, God's mouthpiece. Uh, for the Babylonian exile, the Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem, Zephaniah uh, is green as well on that. He was he in, in the same way that Micah and, and Isaiah are very similar. Zephaniah and Jeremiah are very similar in their ministries. Oh, I did have this. Okay, so this is what we walked through before. Although it may be helpful uh, just to see it written down again. There you have the call of Jeremiah thirteen years in, which was earlier than I said it just a second ago. Josiah started in 639, Jeremiah started in 626. Then we had the fall of Nineveh, the battle of Carchemish with Jeho- Jehoahaz coming to the re- coming to the throne, the first exile, the second exile, and then finally Zedekiah. Okay. Now again, Jeremiah is really hard to summarize in my opinion. It's a very hard book to summarize even if it's the easiest to read. So I'm going to start by just trying to make sure I'm going to use this opportunity yeah to just make sure we're all on the same page on the latter prophets and Jeremiah and where they fit in because it's going to remain again very high level that's the only way I know how to summarize it. So again as we think about where we're at we have the Torah, we have the former prophets, we have the latter prophets and then the writings. And this is the Hebrew I'm talking about the Hebrew way of ordering their scriptures then the Torah is really the beginning of everything. It's it documents the beginning of Humanity, but it also documents Israel being chosen as a nation, God covenanting with those people, uh, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and specifically with Jacob, who he named Israel. So it's documenting God's choosing of them and their, as it were, constitution, their law, uh, the Torah. The former prophets then document how God, and we went through this, remember, over and over, would continue to have mercy. Have mercy would. I'll, I'll re-covenant with you. I'll re-covenant with you. I'll re-covenant with you, but it clearly shows His justice in bringing the curses of those covenants on them. The latter prophets do the exact same thing, but instead of telling the story of God no longer covenanting with them, the latter prophets are telling the story, "I'm going to covenant with you one more time in the future." And we talked about. Well, we'll zoom here. Zoom in more in just a second. And then the writings we talked about, we've, we've covered a lot of these because we in this class have been going through the English order. And so the, the poetical books are, are many of the writings. And that's the remnant. They're for the remnant, for that believing body who's waiting for God to covenant with them again. It's answering a lot of questions for that group of people and encouraging that group of people. And then finally, obviously, the New Testament came and that documents God's choosing of the church and our constitution, as it were, our writings that... Uh, guide and govern us uh, as we await Christ's return. So zoom in just a little bit more. Um, So I'm gonna just put all these up here. Again, the Torah is God's judgment in response to the sin of mankind, but restoration specifically through Abraham and then Israel, his special possession, and then the covenant that he makes. Former prophets, again, Israel responds to God's grace with more and more rebellion. But God continues to renew covenant. However, ultimately, he refuses to show further compassion. We saw that in Kings through Elijah and Elisha. And then here come the latter prophets. Again, continue to show their wickedness in a lot of different ways. Again, some symbolic. uh, Many chapters documenting uh, their disobedience. We read one this morning which was just a, a random selection. When we read Isaiah, we read 32 for a purpose. This one was a bit of a, of a random selection, but it's one I really like, the story of the Rechabites and their faithfulness as contrasted to, you know, if, if if they're going to listen to Jonadab, the son of Rechab, you know, when he tells them not to live in houses and not to drink wine, why why don't you listen to me? I don't understand that. You know, that doesn't make sense. And that's one way that, again, their their wickedness was demonstrated. In Isaiah, we read that even... You know, a donkey knows its master. It knows the hand that feeds it. Well, why does Israel not see that? But the latter prophets continue to warn the wicked, instruct the righteous remnant, and then declare the plans to one day restore Israel. We talked about Isaiah in particular did that through, you know, explaining who would bring that about, right? And it did it by showing that there would would be no king. You could take the best king, arguably, that Israel ever had, at least way up there on the list, and he made the same decision as arguably the worst king that they ever had, and not trusting God in a very difficult place. So there'll be a future king who will be perfectly exemplify the proper response. He is one who will suffer and redeem the nation, and ultimately God himself will be the one that comes and, and redeems them. That was Isaiah. And then Jeremiah, what we'll again at a very high level talk about today is he's going to say how will God do this? What will what will be the means of it? Because again, it's it's always been a covenant. It's always been God making a covenant with the people. Is that We know who's going to do it in the future. It's going to be God himself. It's going to be God who comes and redeems because he can't rely on any man. What is going to be the means? What's going to be the way that happens? And we know that's going to be the new covenant. So I'll I'll read this slide since we're uh, speaking about Jeremiah today. Again, the point of Isaiah was because of Hezekiah's sin that was just like Ahaz, it it would be Babylon that was going to carry the people away. And they're going to be the ones coming. Jeremiah's message is they're here, just like Isaiah said they're here. Although Jeremiah says just like Micah said they're here. But again, Isaiah and Micah have very similar messages. But just like Micah said... They said Babylon was going to come, and all Jeremiah's doing is saying what they said. It's now time. They're here. He's determined to punish Jerusalem. At times in the letter, he's still pleading with them, but ultimately, very soon in the letter, God says, don't plead for them anymore. Don't intercede for them. Don't ask. I've made up my mind. I've made up my mind. And so Jeremiah's message sort of changes. It's, hey, embrace it. Go out to Babylon. Spare yourself. Allow yourself to go to their cities. Make cities. You know dig in make gardens make homes there because you're going to be there for 70 years and so jeremiah as we'll see one of the themes in jeremiah is false prophets We begin to see more than ever before false prophets arise saying no 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 resist the same thing that happened with hezekiah is going to happen now god will defend the city he won't let the temple be destroyed and then that they obviously miss that mark it's destroyed and they said well hey, we're coming back. It's not going to be long. God's going to, he's going to you know, save us. He's going to bring us back. And Jeremiah's like, no, no, 70 years, 70 years. This is not, the land is going to enjoy its rest. Um, so again, they just don't, as I say, it's a new low. Instead of kind of scheming around God's judgment, let's, let's uh, get a, a nation to come help us. The people just don't believe. God just, he won't do it. But again, the key part, and we'll see this even in the structure of Jeremiah in just a second, the key part, while Jeremiah gives all his warnings, while he convicts them of their sin in a multitude of ways, both spoken and acted, and while he judges the nations for their part in it, the centerpiece of his message is, nevertheless, God will create a new covenant with you. He's going to make a new covenant. And Jewish tradition is that Jeremiah wrote Kings as well as Lamentations. And that's interesting if that's the case, because again, Kings was that book that showed that God refused to have mercy, refused to renew the covenant. And it'd be neat if Jeremiah wrote both of those and also wrote clearly Jeremiah uh, when he says, God will make a new covenant with you. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Jeremiah and and other revelation. I already mentioned Isaiah 39, that uh, Babylon is coming and Jeremiah says they're here. But Jeremiah, obviously, when he, when, like any prophet in Israel, when he says, here's why God is just in what he's doing, he goes back to what they've agreed upon, right? It's not fair for me to say to Isaiah, you know, why didn't you take the trash out if I didn't ask him to take the trash out? Or we hadn't agreed about that, right? If I start getting mad at him for that, and he's like, well, we never talked about that. Well, it doesn't matter. I wanted it. <laughs> like, that's not good. That's not appropriate, Right. But God has agreed with Israel. They stood before him and said, yes, yes, we will obey what you've said, we'll be your special people. And so Jeremiah, like any good prophet, when he speaks to them about what they're doing wrong, he speaks from the Torah. He says, hear the words of this covenant, speak to the men of Judah, and say to them, cursed is the man who does not heed the words of this covenant which I commanded your forefathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace. The Lord said to me, proclaim all these words. I solemnly warned your fathers in the day that I brought them up from the land of Egypt, warning persistently, saying, listen to my voice. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but each one walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. So he he continues to point them back to, hey, you agreed to this. This was the covenant that you and God have made, and you continue to fail it. So God has continued to show, be shown as righteous in all he's doing there. I mentioned earlier, uh, earlier prophets, in particular Micah, uh, which, again, for our purposes at least, is very... I know we haven't covered Micah, so but just, again, think Isaiah. Jeremiah's been thrown into a pit, and he's going to be left there to die, and some friends say, hey, why are we doing this? He, all he's doing is saying what the earlier prophets said, specifically Micah. It says, some of the elders of the land rose up and spoke to all the assembly of the people, saying, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and he spoke to all the people of Judah, saying, "Thus, Yahweh of hosts has said, Zion will be ploughed as a field, Jerusalem will become ruins, and the mountain of the house as the high places, and the mountain of the house as the high places of a forest. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him to death? Did he not fear Yahweh and entreat the favor of Yahweh? And Yahweh changed his mind. About the misfortune which he had pronounced against them, but we are committing a great evil against ourselves. So, this point is, this is not the first time this has happened. You know, it wasn't that long ago that another true prophet who was proven correct prophesied against the people and they listened and they repented and God spared the city. So, why are we trying to kill Jeremiah for doing the exact same thing? And Jeremiah is. Uh, also referred to by many people who came after him. We said Isaiah, more than anybody else, again, 20 times by name, 65 total times, Jeremiah's second, and uh, even not even in the Old Testament. You think about Daniel, which Frank will teach in a few weeks from now, when Daniel has been in exile for about 70 years, and he's asking God to consider them and to restore them, he's reading Jeremiah's prophecy at that time. Let me read that, and Frank will will cover that. I'll actually... Uh, have a slide up in just a second about that but Frank is going to spend more time on it when he teaches Daniel but here's Daniel in the first year of Darius the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans so it was the first year of the medo persian reign in the first year of his reign I Daniel observed in the books the number of the years which shows even there that you know they had collected these books You know this was not a uh, well, not uh, first century, second century, as some people would say, again, very liberal commentators would say, how all these things were written late and collected late. No, I mean, in this time, Daniel had books, and in the particular, he was reading one book, the number of years which was revealed as the word of Yahweh to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. So Daniel goes on to pray when he reads that and realizes, hey, it's been 70 years. God, please come act, and, and as, Dan, as Frank will share, God has a surprising answer to his prayer. The inspiration for the exile's return, Second Chronicles 36 and Ezra, I won't read those, but they also are looking at Jeremiah's prophecies to say, let's go back, let's go back. God's made these promises. Again, it'll be very surprising when they do go back. They'll begin to rebuild the temple, and there'll be a lot of excitement, but remember as we studied Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, it's mixed, right? because it's not the glorious temple. God doesn't come and fill it. But he is, Jeremiah's prophecies, are the inspiration for the exile's returns. And then later, the New Testament, when when it refers to the new covenant, when Jesus says, "This this is the new covenant in my blood, or when Paul says, I'm a minister of the new covenant, where is he getting that language from? Jeremiah is the only one who calls it that. Now, the new covenant is spoken about by all the latter prophets. But Jeremiah is the one who, who calls it the New Covenant, and it's picked up in the New Testament as that. Revelation, not everybody was here when we were in the driveway to, uh, when Frank taught us Revelation, but you know, the, the destruction of Babylon that uh, is referenced in Revelation is all from Jeremiah as well. Okay, let's talk about the structure again. It's just too big of a book and very difficult for me at least to summarize, but I want to at least show you this at a high level. Uh, This, again, is general, as I often say, is taken, in this case, not even modified, taken from Dorsey's, David Dorsey's book, The Literary Structure of the Old Testament. The thing I want to point out here is it's mostly judgment. While it's easy to understand, the the bulk of the book is judgment. The bulk of the book is, I mean, really just awful. It's like, repent, repent of your works, maybe God will spare us. And the people don't repent. It's like, okay, God says quit pleading for the people. I've made up my mind. Okay, all right, well, it's going to happen, so just embrace it. Go out to the people. No, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to conspire with Egypt. We're going to do all these other things, okay? No, it's, all right, it's too late. It's coming. They're coming. It's going to be destroyed. No, it's not. We're going to be delivered, nothing to fear. Okay, it happens. Okay, well, now that you're in exile, make up. No, we're going to get back. Okay, well, now that you're here, the people that are left, don't go to Egypt. They they bind up Jeremiah, and they take him to Egypt, like just (laughs) over and over, you know. I mean, he comes to them. They come to him. There's a story in there where they come to him, and they say, Hey, ask God, inquire for us about this, about whether we should go to Egypt or not. And Jeremiah says, Okay, I asked God, and I know you're not going to listen. God says, Don't go to Egypt. And they say, Well, you know... We liked it better when we were worshiping the queen of heaven. Things were better then, so we're just going to keep doing that, and we're going to go to Egypt, and we're taking you with us. It's like, oh, my goodness. You know? And that's where, again, the, the story of the Rechabites is so astounding because they you know, he have this kind of, I don't know, weird family tradition. You know, Everybody drank wine, drank wine in those days, and everybody lived in homes, but they have this kind of different family <laughs> tradition, and they listen to them, but not the people to God. All that to say, that's why the largest book of the Bible – is so much devoted to the, the sin of the people and the judgment of the nations and the judgment of the nation, Israel. But the centerpiece is a message of future hope. It's the declaration of the new covenant. It's a declaration of God pouring out his spirit, forgiving the people, giving them a new heart. And it, again, pairs very well with kings where God said, no more. And there's the destruction here, Jeremiah is saying, but there will be one more covenant that will never end. And so any purpose, it'd be easy to read Jeremiah and say, why did Jeremiah write? And to have a purpose that's solely negative, solely to talk about judgment or warn the people. But the center of his message is about hope, so our purpose will have that as part of it. Major themes. Uh, Do you remember the major theme of Isaiah? Does anybody remember what the major theme of Isaiah was? Do you remember the I'll give you a hint. Do you remember the chapter six where Isaiah is standing before the Lord and uh, what does he say or what does he hear? What are the angels saying? Holy. Holy. All right, the holiness of God. is complete separateness. That's the point that even the very best king, like if you put Hezekiah, you know, remember Saul was, was head and shoulders above everybody else physically? Like you could put Jer- uh, Hezekiah up against others spiritually and you're like, oh man, he's like a head taller but they're still all people-sized. You know? <laughs> he's a head taller in his righteousness, but they're still all human. And God is just totally separate. He's, he's totally different. I mean, when, when Hezekiah, excuse me, when Isaiah stands in front of him, he realizes how sinful he is, how wicked he is in front of this holy God. And again, that's the point of Isaiah is that no one's going to be able to do what he calls. He will do it himself. Each of the prophets, each of the the latter prophets, in addition to having sort of a focus, like Isaiah on who is gonna bring about the new covenant, Jeremiah on what it's gonna be, Ezekiel on where it's gonna happen, and the 12 on when, each of them has a very dominant theme that's very clear. I mentioned in Isaiah, if you consult 10 commentaries, 10 out of 10 are gonna say the main theme is the holiness of God. Similarly, 10 out of 10 commentaries are gonna say the main theme of Jeremiah is the sovereignty of God, especially related to his word. God's gonna speak and it's gonna happen. There's, there's no way around it. What God desires, what God speaks, what God says is going to happen. You remember in Jeremiah, it's Jeremiah where the prophets are all saying, as I mentioned, no, it's gonna be fine, it's gonna be okay. I, I heard from the Lord, you know. And that's when Jeremiah says, what, what is their word compared to mine? You know, What is their visions compared to my word? My word's like a hammer, it's so different. Their word is like straw. My word is like a hammer. It's just you know the difference between metal and straw. God's word is just, in the same way that God himself is different from people, God's word is different from the word of man, and it's uh, the means of his sovereignty and declaring and things come to pass. The sin of Judah, as we mentioned, there's, I was joking with Kyla, she just a second ago, she said, Dad, what's the, what's the key chapter in Jeremiah? I said 53, and I was just joking because there's only 52, but... Uh, you know, of those 52 chapters, I, I don't know, 48 are about the sin, the sinfulness of Judah and of mankind. It's a, it's a major theme. Obviously, the impending judgment. Jeremiah was the prophet at the 23rd hour. Again, he saw the overseer. He prophesied before and after, shortly after, the destruction of Jerusalem. Ezekiel will be more focused on the exile community. Ezekiel was also before and after. Ezekiel, if you remember was in that second exile. There were three, 605, 597, 586. Ezekiel was in the second. So he was before, but he was a young man. And his ministry is primarily to the exiles living in Babylon. Jeremiah was the prophet of the 23rd hour, right before the destruction of Jerusalem. He has a whole chapter recalling the destruction of Jerusalem. Babylon, obviously a major theme. This amazing world power. If you thought Assyria was something Babylon was something. Again, they were going to be God's instrument for judgment, but they themselves would be punished. We talked about false prophets uh, coming on the scene. Jeremiah had to deal with a lot of false prophets. A small uh, amount, but a key position is the future restoration of Israel and through a new covenant. And then lastly, we remember uh, Jeremiah a lot about himself as a prophet. Um David, you know, reminding me when he's talking about Paul. It's not about Paul. It's about the gospel. He doesn't mind if he's slighted. That's not, it's not like Jeremiah wanted to write about himself or anything like that. But we, you know, we don't always get a lot about the people themselves because it isn't about them. But Jeremiah, we have a lot. We have a lot of his experience. I'm not sure why, but people have noted that his experience was mirrored in many ways like that of Jesus later. This is taken uh, directly from the Expositor's Bible commentary. I'll just put it up. But remember, you know, when people wondered who Jesus was, one of the options where people, you know, he, he sounded a lot. People were, were reminded of Jeremiah when they saw Jesus. Again, very similar historical settings, right before the fall of Jerusalem, right before the destruction of the temple, both weeping over Jerusalem. You know, when Jesus talks about my, my house, my, the temple is supposed to be a place of worship. This is from Jeremiah. Both accused of political treason, you know. Uh, one thing you're, I've not ever lived in wartime, but one mm-hmm. thing you're not supposed to do in wartime is, uh, you know, make people feel un- afraid, right? You're supposed to. You, you It's propaganda, and sometimes sometimes it's just good strategy to bolster and encourage, but you can't be saying we're not going to listen to the king. Like that's of all times, and and Jeremiah said it's not time. I'm sorry. It's not time. There was, there's was? there been times for that. 701 B.C. was a time to listen to the king, and God promised he was going to deliver. This is not that time. This is not that time. And as a result, we're accused of political treason. Both tenderhearted. Obviously, new loneliness were very sad in their ministries at times, and yet both enjoyed unusual fellowship with God. God showed up in many ways with Jeremiah when he would complain when he was concerned, when Jeremiah said, I can't, I, I can't handle this anymore. I mean, I can't stop. It's like a fire in my bones, but I can't handle it anymore. God would show up and God had compassion and he would care for him. And in ways that, you know, again, we don't have all this written of Jesus, but I'm certain in similar ways that God showed up to Jesus when he, you know, struggled, you know, when he had an angel come and minister to him in the garden, or when he was lonely and by himself uh, in the desert for the 40 days of of testing ok purpose statement of Jeremiah uh, indeed God would use Babylon to judge Judah because of her great wickedness but a day would come when Babylon herself would be judged and when Israel would be restored beyond her former glory beyond her former glory that's amazing because they, they had some glory in, in the time of Solomon in the time of David but they would be restored beyond their former glory Again, the book centers around the New Covenant. We need to at least have one slide talking about it. Uh, I've already said several times uh, about God refusing to have compassion in the past. But God will have one more, and this covenant will not just be a renewed covenant. You know, the times before, for the most part, there were changes every now and then. Even if you think about when Moses had his covenant on Mount Sinai, and then it was renewed on the plains of Moab. Those were pretty similar. There were very few changes, a few things. And then, you know, there'd be a few changes later like, oh, with Samuel's covenant, remember like, okay, we're going to there's going to be a king. We'll allow for a king. I mean, we actually had allowance for that in Deuteronomy, so it's not a huge change, but we'll allow for a king. You know, there's but they were mostly just renewals of the same covenant. God promising to be their god if they obey him, he would bless them. Very similar. But this is a a big change. I mean, in one sense, it's not. He still talks about the law. It's with the same people. There are some similarities. But there is a real newness to this covenant, in a sense, because it's going to be written on their heart. There's going to be a provision of the Spirit. There's going to be significant changes with this covenant that will make it, therefore, the last one. Just a question again. How or does the church benefit from this covenant? I don't have time... To to diverge in that, but just know that that's a a question that's an important question, and, and there's a variety of answers for it. The last thing before we finish Jeremiah, and I go, and it's been a very high level summary, I know, but Jeremiah, at multiple times, two times in 25 and 29, gives this prophecy of 70 years. I mentioned it earlier when I talked about the false prophets saying it won't be long at all. He continues to say it's going to be 70 years. And there's this question about, well, what are the 70 years? When did they start? When did they end? It's, uh, even in Zechariah, I don't think I have it listed here, but in Zechariah, there's another uh, note of 70 years. I have Chronicles here where they talk about it. Uh, in Zechariah, and I'll read the one in Jeremiah in just a second, but Zechariah says... Then the angel of Yahweh answered and said, "O Yahweh of hosts, how long will you have no compassion for Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, which you have been indignant with these seventy years?" So this Zechariah, and that's chapter one, verse twelve. But Jeremiah, let me read. Let me read those. Uh, Jeremiah talks about how there's going to be the seventy years of rest, seventy years of serving Babylon. Here's uh, Jeremiah twenty-five. This whole land shall be a desolation and a horror. These nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will come about when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, declares Yahweh, for their iniquity, and I will make it an everlasting desolation. Jeremiah 29 talks about 70 years. Thus says Yahweh, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. And then I read Daniel for you earlier. So there's just this question, like, what is the, what are the 70 years? What do they span? So here are some of the key dates that we referenced earlier, in particular the exile of Judah at the first, 605, the second, 597, the third, 586. Then Cyrus defeating Babylon, the end of the Babylonian kingdom in 539, and then the new temple being completed in 516. These are—it's hard to make it map up. It's hard to understand exactly what's being written. I, again, in the spirit of trying to to be quick today, just because we have other things we're going to, and also it's just such a big book. I'm going to just suggest that in the same way that there are three uh, exiles, and then remember three returns that some of these 70-year periods are not all the same. The one in 25 that we read uh, talks about the, the whole land being a desolation of horror and the nation serving the king of Babylon for 70 years. And it will be about when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation. So it seems that that one ends with the punishment of Babylon, which was in 539, and likely began in their service to Babylon, as it were, in 609, when that's, again, remember when the big shift happened, when no longer was Assyria or Egypt the main power. Babylon destroyed both of them. Josiah was killed, and they began serving that king of Babylon. Whereas in 29, the one I read there, Thus says Yahweh, when seventy years have been completed for Babylon, I will I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. So that one's ending with their return to come back, right? And their return uh, was likely a few years after that. Remember, Cyrus made his decree, and then they made preparations, they got the and they went back. So it's very possible that that one started in 605 and ended just slightly after Cyrus's. Uh, defeating of Babylon, 538, 537, sometime around there. And then in Zechariah, which I won't read again, it talks about the temple being constructed. It's been 70 years since this place has been desolate. And you'll recall that went from 586 when the temple was destroyed until 516 when the temple was rebuilt. But those are things that are hard to do in a summary class, but it at least gives you a feel. And Frank will talk about the 70 years in Daniel uh, when he does that. Okay, pizza's now from hot to lukewarm, and I'm going to try to take it from lukewarm to cold with a quick overview of Lamentations. Lamentations, uh, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, is referred to as tears, and that's where we get our English word Lamentations from. It's also in the Hebrew sort of explanation of the Scriptures, the Talmud, they call it Lamentations. But the Hebrew scriptures, the Scriptures are often, not always, but often... Titled by the first word of a book. We call it Genesis, they call it Bereshit, which means in the beginning. We call it Lamentations, they call it How. As in, how lonely sits the city gates. How the Lord has covered the daughter of Zion with his anger. How dark. So three of these chapters all start with this cry of how. How bad. How this has happened. Now Lamentations... um, Lamentations, like Jeremiah, you know, looks back to previous revelation. Again, here I have Zephaniah instead of Jeremiah. Again, as I mentioned, Zephaniah and Jeremiah are very similar. But Zephaniah, whose name speaks of being hidden, uh, talks about maybe you could be hidden in the day of Yahweh's anger. And there were some. Jeremiah is an example of some who was, and there was a small remnant who survived. But in the day of the, of the judgment, it says, Lamentations, there was no one who escaped or survived in the day of Yahweh's anger. As you think about, though, Lamentations being in those writings and the writings being, again, to try to help the remnant as they await for this new covenant that Jeremiah has prophesied, that all the prophets have spoken of, Lamentations looks back to the worst event in Israel's history, the destruction, utter destruction of Jerusalem, the terrible destruction of the temple, and their scattering among all the peoples of the earth, no longer appearing as a special people in any way, and wrestles with, is that it? Is that the end? Are we completely forsaken? You know, Job, as referenced today, It sort of references sort of personal suffering as you think about how, how can that be? How can we have this? Does it mean that it's related to our sin? Is it... Lamentations thinks about it and tries to explain it on a national level, like... Is God's judgment in that? I mean, he there was no mercy. If you read Lamentations, a big part of it is the pity that was not shown. Like it was awful. It's described in awful detail in Lamentations about the things that took place in the city. Does that mean that God has? There's no hope for them in terms of God. In fact, if you read how the book ends, the very last uh, chapter ends this way: "Thou." O Yahweh, you, O Yahweh, rule forever. Your throne is from generation from generation. So, God, you are over all of this. You are from beginning to end. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so long? Restore us to you, O Yahweh, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are exceedingly angry with us. So, again, it's sort of a public... Um, wrestling with this. I mean, the reality is the prophets have spoken. God is going to renew with them. The book of Lamentations itself is centered around chapter 3, which says the Lord's faithfulness is new every morning. It's great faithfulness, but that doesn't mean you feel like it, right? And this is written for those in exile who who it just feels like God has utterly forsaken them. I mean, it's been a long time. How long will it be? Have you utterly forsaken us. And it's followed by the book of Esther that shows that God has not, cuz remember the point of book of Esther, it looks exactly the same. The book of Esther feels like lamentations, right? You have this wicked Haman who has them in the palm of his hand and is about to crush them in the same way that Babylon crushed them before. In fact, if you remember, they're not going to they're going to wipe out the people. Not just in Susa. They're they're doing orders throughout the known world to wipe out all the Jews. Unless you've utterly forsaken us. Well, has the Lord forsaken them? What does Esther teach? No, right? So it looks like it. It looks like it because they have no... But God is working, and He has not forsaken them. The prophecy of Jeremiah will come true. He will make a new covenant, even though it seems like forever. I mean, when you read Deuteronomy, when Moses said this was going to happen, it was... When you're in that land and you turn, then I will pour out my spirit. I'll give you, I'll circumcise your heart and I will restore you. And again, those people came back and they're honoring the Lord, it seems. They're at least trying. But remember, there's still sin. Remember Ezra? There's still sin. The people are still being faithful, faithless. And so it's going to be longer. And Lamentations is a book which allows the remnant to recognize, to even read and feel uh, that difficulty. It is an acrostic. We read, we spent a lot of time uh, doing Psalm 119 together. David led us through Psalm 119 for many weeks and uh, in the same way that Psalm 119 you recall the first eight verses start with A, the second with B, third with C, all the way through the 176 verses. Each of these starts this way. So the, you know, chapter one is 22 uh, verses long because There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So if you see chapter 2, 22 verses long. Chapter 3 is 66 verses long because they're in sets of three and it's the main chapter. Chapter 4 is 22 verses long. So What's interesting is how many verses is chapter 5? 22 as well. And it starts to follow and it just dies off and you know some people have talked about it so it doesn't continue that acrostic pattern and people just talk about how it's just that's the feel of lamentations you know you're trying to just can we keep holding out you know I feel like I got to give up you know and it's not God has not forsaken them that's why Esther follows that's why the book is centered around God's faithfulness but that's the feeling even the poetry indicates the feeling of the people Okay, the structure, again, referencing Dorsey, but the center is three, and I'll read just a little bit of it. You guys know it, but in this, it's very similar. Jeremiah, again, Jewish tradition wrote Lamentations like Jeremiah, very similar book, verse after verse after verse of sadness, of what happened, of the the destruction of Jerusalem with a really small core center that is just beautiful and encouraging, so... Uh, remember my affliction. I'm reading 319. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind, and therefore I have hope. Yahweh's loving kindness never cease, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Yahweh is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I have hope in Him. Yahweh is good to those who wait for Him, to the person who seeks him. I just remind you as we walked through the former prophets, how much of the sin was related to what? What did we describe it as? Do you remember? This is a hard question. Sorry. Remember we had those charts and we said uh, uh, the the new covenant, a new covenant, and then there would be a theophany, and then there would be the sin of the people when it was under what category? Boy, this one, somebody's going to get good credit. Impatience, right? Remember, impatience. Give me some examples. What were some of the people that were impatient? Okay, and then somebody said, I heard it. Saul, Saul not waiting the time allotted by Samuel. I remember that? Um, the other one that I had in my mind just slipped. Oh, Elsie. Yeah, that was the one in my mind, too. Thank you. So they were waiting for Moses to come down from the mountain. They grew impatient. And here, the instruction to the remnant, as hard as it is, is God's going to be good to those who wait for him, even though it feels like an awful long time. And 70 years is a long time. And as Frank's going to tell us, it wasn't 70 years. It was 77s. And it's been longer since then. I won't uh, won't go into this detail right now uh, for time's sake. Here are the the structure, just some chapter headings, I guess, as much as anything. Chapter 1 details in very, you know, graphic terms the destruction of Jerusalem. Chapter 2 wrestles with the fact that, yeah, Babylon's the one who did it, but, you know, it was God who was bringing that. Babylon was the hammer. God was the hand. And then his complaint about how long and yet hope that he can wait, that Israel should wait. Chapter 4 talks about the destructions, and then again, chapter 5, When will this end? When will their mockery as a nation end? How long will they have to continue under the curses of the covenant? Major themes are judgment. Again, it was God who is the judge, ultimately, not Babylon. Reasons given for the judgment and the pain of the judgment. We read a little bit of the future hope, which again, because of its centerpiece, even though it's a smaller section, it is at the center, so it's a major theme. Israel's enemies... Um, particular how arrogant they are. You've seen their vengeance, their schemes against me. You've heard their reproach, their schemes against me. The lips of my assailants and their whisperings are against me. I am their mocking song. And yet, God will punish them. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom! You can be glad. You remember Edom in particular, which would, would strike down the few that were trying to make it out of the city. You know they weren't. Their brothers, in a, in one sense, they're related. They, they took their day of trouble and made it worse. So he says, rejoice and be glad, daughter of Edom, but the cup will come around to you as well. You will become drunk and make yourself naked. The punishment of your iniquity has been completed. He will punish your iniquity, O daughters of Edom. He will expose your sins. So the purpose of Lamentations, again, is sort of to publicly express and explain Israel's suffering uh, and yet to provide hope for the future for those who wait in the midst of that suffering. Okay next week we'll cover Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel will be like Isaiah hard to understand. Um, if you with Isaiah we said, uh, hey it's, a, it's hard to, to read 66 verses in one week perhaps with uh, 66 chapters in one week. Jeremiah was only 52 chapters, but uh, it was even longer. Ezekiel is another long book, uh, but if you want to uh, you know, really focus on some of the key chapters, you'll read one, 1 to 3, 11, and 36 and 37 will give you a good feel uh, for some of the... So if, if you don't have time to read all 30, uh, maybe... There's a 38 at least. I don't remember what goes beyond that. If you don't have time to read all the 38 plus chapters, 1 through 3, 11, 36, and 37. Okay, let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for making a new covenant with with Israel and having mercy, uh, both doing it yourself through your son and in the future through your return Uh, but also, Father, through a new covenant, one that was better than the one that was before, that was written on people's hearts, that was given the provision of the Spirit, even as we read about your provision of your Spirit to the Philippians this morning, that's everlasting and that will never end, that where sin will be no longer the problem. We're honestly waiting and hoping and Having faith will no longer be even required. Hope will be realized. Faith will be turned to sight. Waiting will be done. It will be a time of consummation and joy. I thank you for that promise. We thank you for your love for Israel, which shows us how faithful you are so that we know you are faithful to us, even in the midst of our continued uh, sanctification, not at the rate that we would like. Thank you for all this. In Jesus' name, amen.